Welcome back to the Global Greek Influence Podcast and I'm Panagiotta Pimenidou. If you don't want to miss an episode instead of staying tuned, please subscribe, like and review the Global Greek Influence Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts and four more podcasting platforms. You can also follow the podcast's Twitter, Facebook accounts to be up to date and suggest your topics or contact through the podcast website globalgreekinfluence.com. My guest today is Dr. Chris Kiriakidis, co-founder of Gene Mental, which provides the diagnosis of genetic disorders for better disease management. Chris has over 25 years of experience in general management and business development in more than 70 countries on all continents while running a multi-million international business a founder of two biosciences startup companies, a social enterprise and a foundation. We will talk about catalytic innovation, giving solutions to social problems, rebranding companies, a sustainable impact on future generations, empowering potential talents, futuristic and collective leadership. At this point, I would like to welcome Chris. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much, Yota. Uh, It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Really excited to have you here with us today. For me, it's the same. Likewise. When we first agreed to have this discussion, it was not easy to decide what questions to ask you just by looking at your biography and achievements. I thought my questions have to bring out the essence of what you have done over the past decades. You have received your PhD at the Van Hoff Institute for Molecular Science at the University of Amsterdam as a scientific researcher and lecturer by developing theory using machine learning and artificial intelligence techniques for solving a fundamental scientific problem in protein crystallography. You received three awards and six scholarships, including the EU Biotechnology Directorate Scholarships in 1990 and 1992 and the Young Scientist Award in 1991. You also published one book, co-authored one book, and published 16 articles in international scientific journals. What made you to choose the management and business development in L'Oreal, the pharmaceutical medical devices Novo Nordisk at all continents after a PhD in protein crystallography and now to go back to delivering to the society scientific innovation as an outcome of synthesis research. Uh, Yoda, first of all, uh, thank you very much for this uh, kind introduction. Uh, I must say that I don't feel comfortable when I hear all these things uh, for two reasons. Number one, uh, because it's, uh, I don't know, I don't like so much to, to talk about myself. And this is a little bit of an oxymoron because now we are going to talk about myself. Uh, this one reason. The second reason is that uh, uh, my PhD and my research sounds so far distant in a way. Uh, but uh, to answer your question, which is an, an excellent question, I think that uh, like... Uh, anyone else, like anyone else, a lot of what I do and how I think has been shaped by my family and uh, by my overall experiences in life. So it's, uh, I must say that going from science to business, it was a little bit of a coincidence. And I can explain more. Now, going from business to science, I think it was a, a very deep, deep, deep reason. It was, again, my family, more specifically my daughter. I don't know if I should elaborate more, but in general, I think that, uh, and I, I would like to say that, I remember I was listening the other day, a long time ago, actually, Uh, I don't remember who was, but they asked him, okay, how do you explain your success? And then uh, this person said uh, two words, good decisions. 
And then the interviewer continued and said, okay, and how do you achieve that? And he said one word, experience. And then she continued and she said, okay, and how do you get experience? And then, then again, he said two words, bad decisions. So overall, I think that all my life, it has been these three things, good decisions, or I should study with the other one, bad decisions, give you experience, you make mistakes, right? And then because of that, you can have uh, some good decisions. It's very important to say here that we are not quite sure if a decision we make at any instance in time is going to be a good decision. We, we realize this later. Uh, but definitely, it's very important how we evaluate our experiences to make the best decisions based on our values and our long-term goals, not only professionally, but also in life. I fully agree. I, I fully agree. You said it very well, very well. Jim Mendel is a disruptive technologies business that aims at sustainable living and longevity by transforming genetic disorders diagnosis for better disease management and changing people's behavior as knowledge disseminates, income grows and life improves. How could disruptive technologies transition to catalytic innovation to provide solutions to social problems addressed inadequately today? Again, uh, Yota, first of all, congratulations for the very nice uh, uh, question. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when people think about disrupt disruptive technologies and social issues or contribution to social issues, in general, technologies contributing to social issues, uh, I think that, uh, at least I think, when I, I, I hear the word disruption, I think about revolution. And to be honest, I'm not very in fond of revolution. In fact, I believe very much in evolution. I love evolution. I think evolution is what it brought us where we are, not revolution, although some people believe otherwise. Having said that, I believe that you know, many people think about, uh, okay, disruption, technology, all these kind of things, business, if I may say, they are based on innovation, and I think they do. But uh, I think also business, science, all this technology, let me put it like this, they depend also on tradition. They need to respect tradition. And what I mean by that, that I, I truly believe that uh, disruptive technologies will certainly resolve social problems if they are combined, and this is a, a key word, combination, if they are combined with many other disciplines or if you are able to put many disciplines together. And uh, what I mean by that, that uh, if you, you leave technology, especially disruptive technology, as it is called, on its own, then I believe it will create disruption. And I think it's extremely important to, to have a lot of observation, a lot of listening, a lot of reflection, in order not to allow disruption to, to create more social issues or problems instead of resolving them. Again, it's a, it's a very difficult question. I'm not sure if I, with what I said, if I, if I answered very well or the way that I wanted to, but uh, I think it is like that. The truth is that um, the economy doesn't like uh, disruption, generally speaking. That's true. So true. when we talk about traditions under the umbrella of businesses, we mean existing foundations. Of course, disruptive technologies have to be, in a way, 
tested for their ethics, not to compromise our liberties, what we withhold as values in our societies. Recently, I started to write articles about space technologies and how space technology can offer leaps in our technological advancement. Definitely, space exploration is an area of activities which are not linked to current economy and we see many of the technologies developed for space exploration finding applications in the society 20 or 30 years later. And this is why I'm going to ask you for small islands of innovation later on. When I met Dr. Fotis Filipopoulos, an innovation management and corporate innovation expert and specialist, at the episode The Hybrid Innovation, I asked him if we had examples of companies that reinvented themselves through the convergence of science, technology and entrepreneurship, but at large infrastructural basis. Dr. Filipopoulos mentioned the unsuccessful transformation of Kodak from a chemicals company to a digital technology one. What obstacles did you have to overcome to transform an engineering company to a brand-driven company, as in the case of GM Hearing AS? You know, this is, again, a very nice question. And I I like very much what, uh, what you said. Uh, what the Dr. Filipopoulos said. It is true, in fact. Uh, I think that uh, to answer your question about uh, uh, GN and how we managed to transfer the company from, uh, or to transform, I should say, the company from an engineering to a brand-driven company. And again, I have to be careful here, a disclaimer. I don't know if we manage it 100%. At least they are in a good way to, to be transformed to brand-driven company. But at least uh, uh, when I was there, and this is just a couple of years ago when I, uh, I left uh, uh, GN, which is a wonderful company with a very strong cultures, uh, the, the first difficulty and always is resistance, right? Always is resistance. Uh, you know, I believe everybody, all humans, also maybe any living uh, organism, likes change. But nobody likes the process to change. Because this is tedious, it creates issues, it, it creates a lot of uh, uh, fears, insecurities, etc., etc. So, to cut the long story short, this was one of the first uh, challenges that me and my team encountered. How to, to, to stop the resistance to change. And uh, that was one thing. And of course, for this, you need to to be very good in change management. But also, branding itself helped us to overcome this resistance to change. Because many people, they don't know exactly the essence of branding. There is a lot of confusion. Branding is marketing, marketing is branding, advertising, this, that, all this kind of stuff. But I think that in, if I may describe branding in just a word or two, I think it, it describes only with this sentence. Always show the magic before you show how it works and not the other way around. And we have a tendency, especially in, in uh, engineering companies, to do the other way around. First to show the features, first to show how it works, and then to show the magic. And I think this is wrong. Because basically, as you all of us know, our brains react to emotional stimulus, they say five, six times quicker than rational stimulus. Right, so that's why first we have to show the magic and then how it works. And in a, in a sentence, I think branding is uh, the art of helping your audience fall in love with whatever you want to achieve. 
and then provide them with all the information they need to justify their decision. Right? So again, magic and then how it works. So when actually, and we had a lot of discussion about all these things, workshops uh, with engineers, with research and development, with commercial people, etc., etc. When people understood that, they embraced it. And when they embraced it, they start trusting branding. They start trusting marketing. I remember uh, one of the first uh, discussions that I had, uh, one person from a research en en an engineer, one leader actually, one of the, the, uh, the leaders of uh, research and, and uh, development, he said that, uh, you know, marketing is uh, balloons and ice cream. And I said, well, probably marketing is not that. <laughs> and branding certainly is not that. So, again, I believe that as soon as people embrace that, they understood the essence of branding, the change was very easy. The resistance broke immediately. And then after that, it was just a matter of scientific process based on facts, based on a lot of market research, listening to people, observing situations, involving people. All these things made it a, a wonderful project. I think it was, again, I believe it was one of the most successful projects that, that, that I have done, but I believe also that the company, at least until at that time, uh, had uh, witnessed. And I repeat myself, it's not an easy thing. Still, it's a process. It's an evolution, as I said uh, in the beginning. So it takes time. So I believe the company, the GN, and it's a, it's a very successful company, transforming itself all the time. I think they're in the process exactly of this, of being going from engineering to brand-driven company. You are a strategic advisor to Beseseka in Ghana that empowers children through boxing, education, and leadership development. You're also a brand strategist and advisor to the CEO of the Right to Dream group in Ghana that invests in young, talented athletes and the next generation of leaders to fulfill their potential. At the same time, you are co-founder of funding, education, and arts initiatives, and with your wife, Hannah, to provide grants for talented children with a disadvantageous background in Northern Greece and establish an art collection for future public display. How can initiatives that foster talent be developed to create a more sustainable impact on future generations? Yota, I think, uh, again, let, before I answer the question, let me make a little bit of a small statement. Um, I have been lucky through all my life, as simple as that. I have been very lucky. Uh, yes, I come from a, a humble background, but I believe that uh, I come from a small village uh, uh, in the northern part of Greece. Uh, my parents were uh, farmers, but I think this is, a this is a strength, if I may say. So, but I was lucky, I was, uh, I admitted to the university without really suffering, if I may say, because I enjoyed always uh, studying, reading, etc. Uh, I went to the university, I got the scholarships, uh, I did my PhD with a scholarship. Uh, I did my MBA with a scholarship. I, I didn't try hard also to find a, a, a job. I was lucky to have good jobs. I was lucky to travel the world. I was fortunate to live in uh, nine countries. I'm also even more fortunate to say that I, I have many countries in my heart. I was ready actually to say three countries. And then I stopped it because it's not only three countries. I was ready to say in my heart, it's not only Greece because I come from there, but it's also fin Finland and Denmark for many good reasons. But in a way, in my heart, it's all these nine countries that I have been, lived, worked, got to know the culture, etc., etc. 
So what I'm trying to say is that all these things, this is a lack. And I'm very serious about this. It is a lack. So I really am right now in the stage in my life where I want to, to give back. I want to contribute as much as I can to other people to be as like as I was. Because you need, again, you need this sparkle. You need someone a little bit to push you sometimes. Now, after this uh, uh, small introduction, let's say, or statement, uh, to answer your question, I think you mentioned a, a few initiatives that they are really, again, in my heart. And uh, I mentioned many times my heart, so, but I can tell you that I think, at least, and I hope this is not uh, taken in a wrong way, that my heart is big. So it, it is able to, to feel, to fit, excuse me, a lot of things, uh, cultures, uh, people, projects, etc., etc. So the projects that you mentioned, really they are in my heart. And uh, it's, uh, they are very demanding, very demanding. But I will never give them up, never. So you mentioned right to dream. Right to dream, in a way, change the way that I see things in life. Again, as many other things, but because it's probably very recent that I was involved with right to dream, just it's uh, basically two years ago. But, uh, and again, sorry that I give all these things. I will answer your question soon. But I think it's important to put the, the foundation for that. Uh, you know, when, when you meet the boys and girls of the Right to Dream Academy in Ghana. And this is evolving. There is now, there are academies here in Denmark and they are building academy, a, a very good academy in, in Egypt. But when, you, when I first went to Ghana and I lived with these boys and girls, I realized the importance of purpose. It's incredible. I, it's, to be honest, many times they ask me, but can you describe it? I cannot. I cannot describe it, how I felt and how this has completely changed. But it does. And then going forward, I had the fortune to, to, to be, at this moment, I'm a mentor of a, a few football players who are professional football players, talented, uh, uh, talented uh, uh, individuals, let me put it like this. It's incredible how many things you can learn from a footballer, a footballer who has a good education and has the right character. In incredible. In other words, and there it goes, the answer to your question. I think it's important, again, I mentioned earlier, synergies or, or synthesis of different things. I think sports or arts or something creative, if I may say, in combination with education. And, and education is a difficult thing. I hope we will have the opportunity to talk a little bit later about this. But again, creativity, sports, art, etc., in combination with education. And this in combination with character development it gives you the best leaders, one step at a time. Again, evolution. So I think this is uh, my answer and I hope it is satisfactory. We definitely, um, are, we are definitely going through a different period, a different era for humanity. I can see that more and more uh, people in the business, in the academia, try to bring together different perspectives, different sectors perspectives to enrich, promote and evolve existing fields. Over a year ago, I had a discussion with uh, Professor Emanuela Plakoyanaki, who investigates the synergies of the movement of cubism with today's business, how, what we can learn from that. Um, and this is why I'm a strong advocate of synthesis research, even in STEM research. I believe that we should seriously consider the individuality of young, talented people, even in the science, engineering, 
technology and mathematics research, simply because they bring their own perspectives, their own talents, their individuality, to allow them to have the freedom to develop something beyond of what they're asked to. I, I fully agree. I fully agree. I could not agree more. Let me put it like this. The new generation expects flexibility, guidance, and development. Empowering young talents is not a weakness by considering that they might leave their job within two years. Such a notion is not a lack of commitment rather than expansion and swiftness that our times demand. How could businesses invest in empowering young talents by overcoming their fear of their new members leaving their jobs after a few years? You know, again, it's, uh, you mentioned two interesting words, fear, which is an extremely important word. And I should say, not fear, I should say fearless is the right, very important word. So you mentioned the word fear and you mentioned the word leave, uh, their jobs or whatever. I think that uh, it's not a bad thing to leave. Again, it's change. I think, again, embracing change. It's good. We have to, we have to do our utmost as leaders uh, in a company, whatever. And I'm very serious about this. We, sh- we have to do our utmost to help people live. And how you do that? By training them, by empowering them, by making them feel confident. Then you help them live. Because sometimes, uh, again, young, when you are young, also you, sometimes you, uh, you think that you are better than you are in reality, right? So when you do all these things, the right training, empowerment, promotion, etc., etc., all these great things, then, of course, people think that they are better than where they are. I can find something better. So that's a good thing. Do that. Let's do that. We have to do that. However, and that's the big trick, treat them well. Treat them well. Train them, but treat them well. When you treat them well, and when I say well, extraordinary, then they don't want to live. And I think this is, again, the key. Train them, treat them. Again, most of the businesses might be reluctant. And unfortunately, this is a reality to invest in young talents in their training, mentoring, their development, knowing that uh, these people might leave soon. Renewal and recruitment of fresh talents to business will deliver business innovation, excellent results, increased productivity and opportunities missed by competitors. A business strategy feeds into talent optimization to give sought after business outcomes. How can we change that society does not expose us to empowerment and education does not foster and nurture it? I think, uh, I don't want to repeat uh, you all the time, a very good question, but it is. And I feel like saying it. Uh, and again, it's not all these are not, in, are not easy questions, right? But that's why I assume we have the, post, the, the podcast. Uh, but I think that I mentioned it a little bit earlier about when I mentioned the right to dream. And it's exactly the same for Besesaka, to be honest. Uh, exactly the same with another organization that I'm also involved a little bit and I think I will be also more and more involved, is the the girl power from an extraordinary woman uh, from Afghanistan. And since Afghanistan is a little bit uh, right now on the news, whatever, that's why I think this is also extraordinary. So, But all in all, I mentioned there when I said the example of uh, right to dream, purpose. Clear, have a clear purpose. And also contribute to others. Give back. Give back. That's so important. Now, to answer more precise your question, I think that, uh, and I think this has to do a little bit with uh, education focus in the future, in the future, maybe now, 
probably we should do it now, otherwise we will have difficulties in the future. But I believe that at least experts in education, they say that, and I, uh, and uh, you being one of them, uh, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the focus should be on critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity. Again, critical thinking, collaboration, communication, creativity. If we are able to do that, then I think we will have a wonderful outcome. I think the truth lies in uh, the fact that even higher education and education in general, like the businesses, are afraid to change. Yes. The format, the structures, uh, uh, restructuring their programs of study, so everything that needs to be taken into a consideration in a sense to rebrand themselves. Flexibility under its current usage by the economy and organizations cloaks the freedom of talent, skills and consequently cutting-edge innovation. Unfortunately, innovation is primarily based on national, international, organizational agendas which build on current products and markets without creating cutting-edge areas of technology that could provide leaps to the humankind quality of life. The vast majority of companies and organizations rely on vertical decision-making of innovation strategies and products. How feasible could independent, small islands of innovation be in sectors that foster novelty to mobilize talented individuals and visionaries by giving them freedom of action to accomplish their ideas, concepts, and philosophies? Again, another difficult question. Uh, it's, uh, I, maybe I should answer like this. I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew. This is not an easy thing. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, we have to observe, we have to listen, we have to reflect. We should try not to uh, to revolve, but to evolve. And uh, I believe that all these things can be a great foundation for for exactly what what you mentioned in your question. Uh, I believe that uh, there are so many things out there, so many. Uh, technologies uh, uh, which can help in a way on these things. Uh, the share, the so-called sharing economy, right? This is something that uh, it can help a lot. Sharing economy. Also, the I mean, everybody talks uh, lately about AI, machine learning, deep learning, data, all this kind of stuff, right? And uh, unfortunately, this has created a little bit of fear in the world. Also, if you see movies, because many times we are a little bit uh, uh, manipulated, I should say, or at least going to a direction from this kind of movies. So all the movies that you see with AI, etc., they're not really good movies, in a way. They see a little bit the wrong side of AI, of robotics, of, uh, of all these uh, technologies, let me put it like this. Uh, but I think AI can only make our life better. Only can make our life better. It can give us more time, more freedom, more knowledge, in a way. So all in all, taking, let's say, and I, I will not say much because we can talk hours about this topic that you just raised, but all in all, I think if I focus on those two things, sharing economy, sharing in general, general. And as my daughter nicely says, sharing is caring. Right? So sharing one thing, sharing economy, and then the AI, robotics, genomics, all these great evolvements that we have, advancements that we have, those can uh, be the, the, a good foundation for, uh, to, to achieve what we want.
the reason I make all these questions is because beyond of being an academic, I consider myself primarily an engineer. And the engineers are all about practicality, how put things in place, make them work and deliver. Yes. I appreciate all the initiatives that many private entities undertake to support young talents, to empower the future generation. What I'm trying here to understand is what is missing to incorporate the lessons of such initiatives in education. So it's going to be a mainstream rather than an exception. Yes. I understand. It's, uh, I think that, again, uh, uh, I believe it's going to be mainstream. I think the, uh, the schools are changing. I, let me give an example. And again, some, kind, some schools are faster than others. Some universities are faster than others. Some countries are faster than others. Okay, some families are faster than others. Uh, but I will give you a very simple example. Uh, when, we, when I was a student, and actually in our conversation now, we use the word students, right? Uh, you know how students are called in my daughter's and son's school? Learners. They don't use the word student. They use the word learner. And I think this, even this small thing, it's uh, so important. So meaning that, again, what I'm trying to say is that uh, it's happening. It's happening and it will be mainstream. Uh, to be honest, and again, at my, uh, at my son's school, uh, I think they, they do a lot of... Uh, uh, robotics and AI, etc. Incredible. He's 14 years old and he knows so much about all these things. Uh, but also, now let me tell you something interesting, which I believe that uh, disruption technologies, all these technologies, they're based on also on tradition. You know what, uh, uh, what one of the lessons that they did, it was to sew, sewing machines. My son knows how to make a shirt, a t-shirt and a bag. Imagine now from that, from something traditional, to go to robotics and AI. So, again, to answer your question or your observation, uh, Yota, I think that it will become mainstream. It's becoming mainstream. I repeat myself, I, I have a fortune to live in, uh, in Denmark. I think in Denmark is... Uh, it's mainstream. My wife comes from Finland, as you mentioned. Uh, so she's, uh, I think in Finland, is clearly mainstream. And by the way, this mainstream, let's say, to have the technologies as part of learning process, it does not only help you for evolvement, for uh, uh, advancements, for, uh, uh, how do you call it, prosperity. It also, it helps you to for inclusion and diversity. Inclusion and diversity. And again, if I talk about uh, Finland, uh, because obviously I, I, we go there very often, uh, when you go to a school, it's incredible. You don't, first of all, the perception of school for me coming from this is so different. And then the first time that I went to a school, and it was a school for people with uh, uh, special needs. I'm not exaggerating, Yota. I thought I was in a five-star hotel. I'm not exaggerating. It was incredible. Not only the, the place and the equipment, but also the teachers. They were small philosophers. So, Meaning that all these things, again, technology, making, making it mainstream, as well as the inclusion and the diversity in our education, I think it's happening in a few countries, and hopefully it will happen soon in all countries. Well, my following question, since we talk and we've already talked and discussed about... Um, empowering the young generation yes. is about future leaders. 
Crucial to promoting and developing a new talent is not only a matter of releasing an individual's potential, but also that of effective, inclusive, diversified and futuristic leadership. How would you or one develop future leaders? You know, I believe that we talked uh, a little bit about this. All the things that I told you about uh, the, the focus on uh, these four elements of uh, education, uh, focusing on, uh, on purpose and contribution, uh, not, do not think about me, individual. All these things, I think it is uh, something that we need to, uh, to, to use for, uh, uh, for the future, for the future leaders, if I may say. Uh, here, I want to mention also something else that I believe the maybe our generation, uh, certainly our parents' generation, uh, they focused a lot on in individualism. Uh, I mean, we were a consumerism, a consumer society, instead of being a producing society. And when I say producing, I mean products not only uh, tangible, but also mainly intangible, right? So I think, again, it was the previous generation, probably us as well, very much consumer society. Also very much individual, based on individual. First I look at myself, I take care of myself, and then I take care of the others. And unfortunately, many people, they stayed until the end of their life in just only thinking about themselves. You have this in many societies, actually. So I think that it is vital to think about others, vital. And by the way, I think that uh, it's a, probably a universal dilemma, if I may say. Uh, you know, this, uh, it, th this balance of being individual and also wanting to belong to something more than yourself, to a team, to a society, to a club, I don't know what, to a country. So I think this is a, really a dilemma, you know, it's a, a balance. How to make sure that this stays in a good, gives a good equilibrium. Now, when we are able to do that, to find this balance, I think we will really make great leaders. Firstly, let me say that the reason I'm attracted to do these questions is because you have been a leader. Also, you support initiatives to create future leaders. So I wanted your perspective on how to develop future leaders. What you mentioned is absolutely true. The future leader needs to take into consideration the people around him or her, also what the impact their leadership is going to have to the society. I think um, the problem you mentioned about past generations focused on individuality was the education system itself. It was all about personal, individual performance. So students, not learners, even in primary school, were focused on how well they would perform. They were never shown that what you do, what you learn, is not only for your personal development, but how this personal development could impact not only what you choose to do in the future, in your adult life, or even before becoming an adult. So all these things are definitely coming from education. They're definitely promoted by the business environment, by a professional environment. So in the past, it was all about the leader. It was not about the team because the leader made the decisions and everybody else had to follow. It wasn't just a matter of the team not having an opinion, but a team, in order to believe in something, that same team has also to make a contribution towards final decisions. Otherwise, they're not going to believe in them. They will not do it with their whole heart. 
if we want not to become romantic, but still a little bit humane? Yes. Well, we are close to the end of our discussion, Chris. So just one final question before finishing our fantastic discussion. In what ways is collective leadership dependent on teams building? Uh, <laughs> it's a, a, another nice question. Uh, and again, you, you mentioned it a little bit and also I mentioned it a little bit earlier about this, uh, very much. I think that uh, first of all, uh, leadership is something collective. In my view, at least, in my view, uh, you mentioned the example of uh, authoritative leadership, let's call it like this, right? And you have it in many aspects, authoritative leadership. Authoritative leadership, which it happened, it used to happen a lot, now it still happens. Uh, authoritative leadership is something I think that uh, brings uh, good things, but just for the short time, for a short period, in a way. If you want to have a lasting effect, you need to base it on a collective leadership. You need to listen to people. You need to observe the people. You need to do it for them. They have to believe you, in a way. Otherwise, it will happen what uh, we said one of the previous questions, that uh, just people will not stay with you. They will take what they need and they will go. They will not, you will not inspire them. Now, what is the difficulty, in a way, with authoritative uh, uh, leadership? People, as I said, they, they follow you until they have enough equipped, they are well equipped to go. With collective leadership, I think, they stay with you. They believe this is part of you. But the difference is that the authoritative leadership is the, the easy, wrong way. Easy, wrong way. Collective leadership is the difficult, right way. It takes time. So much time. And also I can tell you an experience from, uh, from me, from uh, my own experience, that I believe... Uh, I'm not authoritative, although sometimes I appear, but uh, I remember once I received, uh, we received uh, an email uh, to, to manage, to leaders, whatever, VPs, whatever we were at that time, from someone from, uh, I think it was from Saudi Arabia. And he said, dear Mr. X and Chris. So in other words, he, met, he called the other person, and we were on the same level, right? The other person, he called him Mr. X, and he called me Chris, and I felt so nice. Because in a way, when someone calls you Chris instead of Mr. X, means that does not feel the authority. And I think that to achieve that, it's very difficult. And many times, not only it's difficult to achieve it, but also after that, uh, people sometimes, they don't listen to you so that you have to, to, to work much, much harder in a way. But again, this is the right, difficult way. And it should be based on teams. It should be based. You, you have, if you want to lead a team, you have to base your decisions and what you do on team building. That's exactly it. And let me add that Unfortunately, authority has the notion of uh, being respected and being appreciated. Yes, yes, it is true. But you know, Yot, again, it is, I think, what I mentioned. Uh, it is the wrong, easy way. The wrong, easy way. I don't think that people, an authoritative leader, would be respected after he loses or she loses her power. After they lose the power, nobody respects them. But uh, again, I, I will uh, I will mention something from I remember it was from my army years that uh, uh, because I was a reserve officer, and when we were at the school of reserve officers, of course it was uh, you know it was very authoritative, right? It's army. 
So I remember many years later, one guy comes to me and says, Chris or Christo, as it's my name in Greek, right? The, he hugged me and said, I had no clue who was this guy. I had no clue. And it was indeed from that Academy of Reserve Officers because he told me I was the only one who was loved by the, 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 the second, let's say, ranked uh, officers. Just because I did not use the authorita authoritative leadership. Just I used the reasoning leadership, collective leadership based on teams. That's why I think again, authoritative, yes, do it. You might have successes in the short term. Nobody will remember you or will say hi to you when they meet you afterwards, when you lose the power. Whereas the collective leadership, the leadership based on team, or team teams and team building, I think it's, uh, they will hug you when they see you years after. This is the perfect ending to the highly enjoyable insight into your experiences. Thank you, Chris, for accepting to be my guest. Thank you very much, Yota. I really enjoyed it and I learned something. And this is very important. Thank you very much. Thank you all for staying until the end of this episode. Until next Sunday at the Global Greek Interest Podcasting Platforms. Thank <laughs> you.